0: This is the Cosmos podcast.
1: Okay, Efrem Yazgan. I, well, you know how much I love public transport. Yes, Matthew Agius, I know how
2: much you love public transport. You never cease talking about it. Uh, It may surprise you to know that I also love public transport.
1: Ah, okay. Right. Well, what do you love about it then? I love
2: the ease of it. The fact that you can pull out a book, uh, put your earphones in, listen to music. It's just your own little world. You don't have to do anything.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. I also uh, happen to like the whole carbon reduction efficient movement of people not actually having to drive myself around in a car type vibe uh, as well. That really appeals to me. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this the other day, right? So I as you know, don't actually own a car. I have a public transport pass, I have a bicycle and that's about it. But my mother is looking for a new car and we're actually now at that point where we're starting to think about whether it's time to spend a bit more money to go fully electric when it comes to a motor vehicle for her. And, you know, then for me, would I forgo my pretty committed use of public transport and go for an EV myself? I Mm -hmm. really don't know what I would rather do for myself on a personal level. And, you know, What about everyone else, especially people in cities while, you know, we're starting to see EV charging infrastructure ramp up, more car makers enter the market for EVs, people buying them up? Um, It's a tough question. It's an environmentally Mm -hmm. conscious question. I'm a person that likes the idea of having cleaner cars on the road especially as that market shift. But Mm -hmm. uh, as a cyclist, I'm not sure if I'm keen on having more cars on the road, risk of hospital, that sort of thing. As a person who likes the idea of efficient living, I like the idea that public transport is probably the answer to safer and faster transport for lots of people in general. I just don't know what I want. (laughs) It's okay, Matt. You can relax. Uh,
2: Never has getting from A to B felt like such a loaded question. I understand Mm. that. But the good news is that we have two guests today who might be able to help you answer some of those qualms. Uh, Dr. Dorina Pojani is an associate professor in urban urban planning at the University of Queensland School of Earth and Environmental Sciences and Professor Jago Dodson is the director of the Centre for Urban Research at RMIT. Hello to both of you, please
1: help Matt out. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, okay, we've got I've got two urban policy experts and I, you know, you probably exactly what I need to answer the question, but I also suspect you're probably going to favour alternative transport over the car. So what if we levelled the playing field? And just from a climate perspective, if, if we compare the emissions from operating, say, my own electric car to the comparative non-electrified alternatives, bus, train, tram, plane, boat, whatever it might be, bicycle, do, do the alternatives still come out on top or does the EV come out on top, Dorina, in your opinion?
0: Look, um, at the point of views. electric vehicles are cleaner than conventional vehicles. There is no doubt about it. So the cities will be clean if we were all to shift from conventional vehicles to to EVs. However, one needs to consider uh, the emissions during the whole life cycle of that car. So from the moment it's produced, how much carbon goes into producing that car, and then to the moment the car dies. So what it takes to recycle the batteries of that car, if that's possible at all. And... If one considers all of that and people have crunched the numbers, EVs still come on top. They are generally better than conventional cars, but there is a range there. That's what people don't understand. It's not just one um, data point. There is a whole range, and some EVs are better than others. Different brands perform differently.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mention as well conventional cars because I went poking around for some data on carbon emissions per vehicle and it you know as a as a consumer uh, let alone as a science journal it's not the easiest thing to do there are so many different numbers and estimates and you know it depends on the vehicle it depends on how much you're carrying with you and all those sorts of things Evram, it is a nightmare. It is and of course you know there's the hard science on one side the
2: you know x amount of carbon emissions here y number of Uh, commuters there but there's also the practicality aspect as well right like is public Mm. transport the best way for everyone to get around how much should we take uh, the impact on people's lives into account when planning cities or implementing policies uh
3: well i think this is a really critical question for cities as we make um, the transition from conventional fueled vehicles to electric vehicles um, in the context in australia of what looks like Uh, We're going to return to having our major cities grow very rapidly with um, immigration. Um, uh, As we grow our population and we maintain the existing level of car use in cities, then we're adding potentially thousands and thousands of more cars to our uh, city streets and roads every year. Now, if we're converting um, that vehicle fleet from uh, conventional vehicles to electric vehicles, um, we're potentially reducing emissions, depending on where the electricity comes from, and if we've covered that whole life cycle issue that um, uh, Doreen mentioned just before. But the fact is, we'll be adding more vehicles to our roads, and we have limited space in our cities. We're trying to limit the expansion of our cities uh, into our, you know, biodiverse and sensitive hinterlands. The, the real question is, do will we have the space to simply keep accommodating? Um, the projected future number of vehicles in our cities. Once you start to ask those questions about simple simple space accommodation, then we have to start thinking about more efficient use of the transport space in our cities, our uh, roads, but also um, other modes like railways um, in, uh, in Brisbane, uh, uh, busways and Melbourne tramways, um, and thinking how we, we get more people moving for the existing space that we have. And that inevitably turns to a public transport conversation because by far and away public transport especially heavy um, rail and and similar volume modes um, are far far more efficient than any road could possibly be in terms of the number of people that you can move per hour so yes the environmental question around emissions is important but simply just the functionality of our cities and the use of space by transport becomes a, a just as important a question.
1: I realise that we've actually got two urban policy or planning policy experts in the room and I haven't actually asked you how you get around yourselves. How do you guys get around when it comes to day-to-day life or going to work?
0: So I do not own a car. It's a conscious choice that I've made.
1: Another
3: one.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, um, in the car-free minority. And I like the word car-free as opposed to car-less because it's a uh, choice based state of being um, it does present some constraints um being being car free it means that i have to spend more on housing in order to live in a more accessible inner city location um, so that's one trade-off um, spending less on housing but being in a car dependent suburb but spending more on housing but being uh, closer to the city or closer to where you work and then um Other choices have to do with simple lifestyle. For example, often uh, I might find out about um, an interesting product that's sold in a uh, suburban shopping mall. And then I say to myself, well, I just don't have to have it. I will live without it. Or sometimes I might meet interesting people who live in a suburb that's far out where I cannot go easily without a car, where I need to take three buses to get there. And then it's too much to ask people to always come to my house, drive to my house. So then I say, well... These people are interesting, but I guess we will not become best friends. It's too hard to get to meet one another. So that's living car-free. And I did do some research with a student a few years ago on other people that have made the choice to go car-free in a very sprawling city like Brisbane, where I live. And we found out that it is possible. People are making choices, trade-offs, same um, as I'm making, But we found that there was a lot of social judgment around that choice. Um, People would make all sorts of assumptions. They would think that someone didn't have the money to afford the car. So economic assumptions. And then women were particularly judged. So there was a gender dimension there. Uh, People would think, oh, you're not a good mother. You don't have a car, so you cannot take your children to all these enrichment opportunities after school. What are you doing? Or you're placing all this burden on your husband having to take you around, stuff like that.
1: What about you, Jago? What what do you use to get around?
3: So my principal mode of transport is my bicycle. Um, And for uh, uh, doing shopping trips and so forth, uh, we have an electric cargo bike, uh, which is an incredible... Uh, way to um, get around uh, the city. Uh, in our household, we do own a car, but that is probably used for a bare minority of, of trips that we undertake.
2: Lovely. This is uh, for, for both of you. I mean, uh, Dorina, you were an urban designer and planner in California in a past yes. life. And, Jago, you've worked across domestic and international policy. If you were given God powers, all the powers in the universe today, How would you remake Australian cities? What's needed for us to make them both livable and sustainable?
0: Um, The car-free city is my religion. Uh, That's what I'd like to see in an ideal world, a city where uh, everyone moves around on alternative transport, and that includes women as well. Uh, Jago mentioned cycling, and we know that that's also a gendered activity that women tend to do a whole lot less in Australia, because of safety perceptions um, being much, much stronger around women, uh, for women. And I would like it if um, some people still had access to cars, for example, people who have a disability or people who are very old or people who are pregnant. You know, There are situations where you need door-to-door transport. But that kind of individual transport does not need to be individually owned. Uh, We could have some sort of mobility where transport, the vehicles are owned by a company, sort of like Uber now, and then we just rent their use for limited amounts of time.
3: And what about you, Jacob? I think my approach would be to first to recognise that in terms of transport, there's nothing necessarily natural about the way we Um, organise our cities and the way we organise our transport systems. The current very high levels of car dependence in Australian cities are the result of policy choices, many of which have been compounded over many decades. So I think my um, first proposal would be to rethink the policy choices that we make in transport, in particular the, the many decades of focusing on supporting car use above other modes and using that, um, that support to direct the investment that goes into infrastructure. Um, we need to reduce our car reliance in our cities and move to a quality of public transport network and services that allows for go anywhere, anytime travel across the city. Obviously, in Australian cities, there are many gaps and deficits in our public transport networks, and we need to address those. Um, but if we shift away from continued road capacity expansion, expansion to support the car, then that automatically frees up future budget that's not going to be spent on tollways and road tunnels and uh, uh, freeway expansions and extensions that we can then direct towards um, public transport services. So that would be my my broad shift that I would uh, like to see for Australian cities.
1: I, I guess, Jago, I mean, I've always thought that you know, to bring it crashing back down to earth and actually trying to get any improvement. Um, I've always thought that transporting people in the inner cities via bikes, uh, as, as you yourself use, public transport, running and walking would make a lot of sense because they're really proximal to the hub. But I guess my question, you know, with the reality hat on is, is how feasible from a policy perspective is it to actually get people who are so close to the city to park the SUV, which feels like they're everywhere now, and jump on the tram or the bus and get into the the city?
3: Well, I think if we we provide the alternatives and people can see that they're they're viable, they're convenient, they're um, well-connected and so forth, then then people will tend to use them. Um, We've got to remember that in Australian cities, for most of the areas of our cities, the public transport services are of relatively low quality, so people don't use them at the rates you would expect um, if we were providing them at a much higher quality of service the way European cities do. Um, The inner city is perhaps a little bit more um, nuanced in the sense that uh, other modes like walking and cycling become more viable because of the more concentrated land uses. In the middle and outer suburbs, though, where land use is more dispersed, it is still possible to provide um, high-quality public transport if we we plan and organise it well and fund it properly. Um, And when we do that, we tend to see that um, people do choose to use uh, such public transport services and, and are able to leave their car at home or as, as we've been discussing earlier in this uh, conversation uh, maybe choose not to own a car um, so that, that's, that's the shift that needs to be um, undertaken is, is focusing on the quality of public transport networks
1: I mm. mean, um, in that you mentioned Europe and, you know, I want to go on a holiday there this year and I'm constantly battling with this idea that, oh, should I go on a, an aeroplane because of the climate question? Um, I guess if we sort of move towards alternative forms that aren't car-based, it suddenly becomes a little bit more palatable for an individual to consider that sort of travel, though, if we can actually get our domestic transport um, options Right, every market to go to Europe.
2: That's right. I mean, that's something I'd like to know too, Matt. I know in France where they have fast trains, you can't actually fly uh, if there's a train or bus option uh, to the destination that takes, I think it's three hours or less. Hmm. Uh, and we, if we had, uh, you know, a, a similar kind of fast train, you could do Melbourne to Sydney or Melbourne to Adelaide in that amount of time. What are the chances, Darina, of that happening here?
0: Look, um, I think so far here in Australia we've been framing public transport as an environmental choice too often and um, then that sort of divides the users and non-users of public transport along political lines, right? So the environmentalists tend towards the left and um, the others tend toward the right, the ones that don't, don't want to use public transport, right? But uh, we need to Um, highlight that this is also an economic choice. If we made public transport a lot more affordable than cars, then um, that could help people um, boost their household budget. So that could be a huge appeal right there. I mean, especially um, at this time when cost of life is going up and inflation is going up. So that's something we could do to make this a non-partisan issue, to make this something that benefits society as a whole and something that appeals to people's values.
3: If I could add, um, another thing we need to recognise, and this is a topic that um, my colleagues in the economics department uh, uh, like to talk about at length, is the fact that um, car use or, or users of cars do not pay the full economic, social or environmental cost of the use that um, those cars impose on society, the economy and the environment. Um, Australia has one of the lowest levels of fuel tax uh, in the world. We provide subsidies to businesses to purchase vehicles. We have things like Novated Leases, which make it relatively cheap for people to buy cars um, or or to to access cars. Um, We we don't have a carbon tax that um, uh, addresses the... Uh, the impact of emissions on the environment. Um, We don't have other mechanisms for accounting for the cost of pollution, like um, noise pollution, um, the wear of tyre and brake particulates. Um, We don't fully cover the cost of um, traffic uh, accidents and crashes. Um, uh, Severance of communities by major roads. I mean, I could go on and on and on about all the harms that cars impose on society that aren't priced into the use of them um and a big a big step forward in addition to providing better public transport would be to have some some more fulsome accounting mechanism whereby car users are able or required to pay the full cost of the harms that their use imposes on um, our society and on our our cities there has been a long debate in australia about uh, road pricing which is more about the efficiency of use of the roads per se rather than the full cost but There's no reason that couldn't be used as a mechanism. Um, There is, however, an equity dimension in the sense that the areas of our cities that are the most car dependent tend to be the lesser affluent areas where people have gone, say, to the outer suburbs to access cheaper homeownership, but then become very car dependent as a result. So, we would, in talking about these kind of full cost recovery approaches, we would also have to have some dimension that addresses the equity issues.
1: I guess you're mentioning a lot of government requirement for government policy, government involvement? I mean, how much government uh, engagement do you get in the work that that you both do?
3: That's an interesting question. If you look at some of the government agencies like the Productivity Commission, Infrastructure Australia, the Treasury through things like the taxation review that was undertaken about a decade ago, they all articulate the fact that the the economics of car use are um, are very biased and skewed towards um, favouring cars over other modes and we need to reform our pricing and taxation mechanisms. Mm. Um, I think the challenge is more in the political sphere, um, whereby politicians look at the electorates that they represent and realise that you know, some of them are 80%, 90% dependent on cars for their travel. Um, having a conversation about transition away from cars and some of those electorates, often of which um, have a determining role in elections uh, by being out in out of suburban seats that are often marginal. That's that's a very difficult conversation for for politicians um uh to have with with
1: their voters what about you Dorena do you have much government involvement in your work
0: well in my case um, I do a lot of work around gender issues and um, there is an office for women at the federal level in Australia and um, last year late last year a budget for women was released as well and it was talking about things like gender uh, quality, access to work, and so on and so forth. And reading the document, it was clear to me that a lot of those issues that women face are actually um, planning issues, and some of them are specifically transport issues. So one part of the reason that women are uh, less likely to work full-time or less likely to work at all is that they simply can't get to work um, on time and um, in an efficient manner that combines all of the other tasks that they have to do throughout the day, dropping kids childcare and picking up groceries and taking care of elderly parents and so on and so forth. So I would like it if government offices that work specifically on women's issues, I'd like those to be um, more cognizant of the fact that there is a lot of um, transport barriers there.
2: So I guess lastly, uh, what should the public be expecting in terms of policy change over the next few years, given all
3: of the issues and um, challenges that you've talked about? I think the, the public can probably expect um, lots of attention on electric vehicles because they seem to be the main mechanism by which government is currently um, proposing to address the challenge of reducing emissions, um, the climate emissions from, from transport. Um, I think it would be unfortunate, though, if that was the sole focus of government policy. We need to think much more systematically about the role of transport in our cities, the alternatives to the car that can be both climate efficient in terms of emissions, but also socially and economically efficient and inclusion, uh, inclusive, um, and, and move away from seeing just a, a singular transition of drivetrain from conventional to electric vehicles or zero emission vehicles and think more comprehensively about the transformation of our urban transport systems. Yeah. Dorina?
0: I agree. I think electric cars are still cars. So they're yet another technological fix that appears to solve the problem but does not. So I would like to see much more radical measures i'm on the radical end of the spectrum if you didn't notice um i totally agree with Jago that uh, a lot of stick measures um Will be needed in terms of taxation, but I'd also like to take a softer approach and offer people also some carrots there in the form of free public transport, for example. And if a small place with less resources like Estonia can offer that to um, the residents, uh, wealthier Australian cities certainly could.
1: Well, Dorina and Jago, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, you offering us your insights into better transport and starting to answer some of my questions. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, what are you thinking now, Matt? Are you still going to hold out on that EV? Well, I think, uh, I think I will because um, they said a lot of stuff that I think makes a lot of sense, the way that we plan cities, the way that transport is actually used. Um, it makes a lot of sense that we would look to alternatives that are not car-based, especially in a country. I mean, you know, I grew up in Adelaide and um, Adelaide's urban sprawl is is as far out as Sydney's and Sydney's six times the population. So I think that, you know, for some places in the country, working out those better transit options are actually... Um, very logical make a lot of sense um and for me personally i can i can make it work whilst acknowledging that you know for some people having that type of mobility is is clearly really important what about you yeah i think i'm
2: on the same boat so to speak to be honest Uh, and you know all of that is true but there is something also to be said about the the romance of a train ride don't you think well,
1: I don't live on a train line, so I have uh, I have the romance of the bus, uh, okay. but um, that's okay. Uh, I think, yeah, I think if I can get a train... I mean, you mentioned um, if we had fast trains, I know that governments have looked at, you know, options from, say, Sydney to Newcastle. It's clearly a very expensive option, but even recently they were saying that if they replace 200 kilometres of, of track between Sydney and Melbourne, they'll actually halve the duration of the train journey from Sydney to Melbourne. So it's um, remarkable to think that there are actually potentially some options out there that could actually make those trips a lot more efficient and you get to more of that European model where you start Mm. to say well actually are we going to think about having you know high carbon emitting plane journeys between cities if we don't need to have that I know at the same time I'm sure the aviation industry has got a lot of pressure to actually make itself cleaner but if Mm. there are those other um, mass movement of people options that exist uh, you know that uh, is certainly to your point evram the romance of the train journey can be available to all <laughs> i love it well uh, that's it for this episode good to speak with you matt
2: you too the cosmos podcast is produced by royal institution of australia in adelaide on ghana country the royal institution of australia is a not-for-profit whose mission is to communicate science widely as the key to a better world We do this through our stories, which are turned into educational resources, teaching the scientists of tomorrow about the science of today in classrooms across Australia. Support us by subscribing to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's premier print science magazine and Cosmos Weekly, its sister e-publication.